What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Awakened Catholic Show. I am your host, Nick Delatore. Today I have with me David Carey. I almost said Jim Carey. <laughs> Sorry. David Carey. And I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly. John Dombardo. Did Bingo. I know that? Bingo. Bingo. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. This episode is sponsored by the Carey Agency with the Knights of Columbus. In this episode, we're going to be diving into... The Knights of Columbus, learning all about its origins, where it comes from, why it's not the Catholic Illuminati, and we're going to be talking about some amazing things, both about being uh, what it's like to be a member of the Knights of Columbus and even start a career with the Knights of Columbus as a field agent. Um, and you never know, it could be for you and you didn't even realize it. So uh, the the Cary Agency with the Knights of Columbus, thank you so much for sponsoring this episode. They want you to know, towards the end of this episode, we're going to be talking about really cool career opportunities that you might not have even known existed, because I sure didn't. Uh, and in fact, the two guests that we have here are, they have careers in the Knights of Columbus and they didn't know about it before they knew about it eventually. But anyways, that might be you too. And so if you're interested in learning more, um, make sure to visit kofc.awakencatholic.org or just clicking the link in the video or uh, episode description. Uh, so Cary Agency of Knights of Columbus, thank you so much for sponsoring this episode. Let's dive into it. Welcome back, everyone, to The Awakened Catholic Show. This is not your grandmother's Catholic talk show, unless she's a really, really cool grandmother. Uh, but before we get into today's episode, I got to tell you that, there we go, that uh, if you want to support the making of this show and uh, become a part of a community of people that are just sick and tired of Catholic media that is just not good enough, just not hitting the mark, that's just not reaching the people it needs to reach, then you should join the community of saints with a lowercase s because <laughs> we're still working on it. Anyways, visit theawakencatholicshow.com to join the community of saints and you get tons of cool perks and benefits for supporting this show, um, including a daily scripture reflection by yours truly. All of that is available at theawakencatholicshow.com. Additionally, you should join the app. We have a community app here at Awaken called the Awaken app, and you can join the community from uh, your desktop or laptop or iPad browser or on an iPhone or Android phone via the app and just go to theawakenapp.io or search for it in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. It's a really beautiful, thriving, growing Catholic community from all over the world. And there are different groups within the app. Um, and that's also where you would enjoy all the cool benefits of joining the various patron communities like the one for this show. Visit theawakenapp.io. There's also a great music library, a prayer library, a lot, just the, the fun never stops. So theawakenapp.io. All of that having been said, David, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you guys you. doing? We're doing good. Can't yeah. Good. John, I'm going to ask you to move the mic a little closer to your mouth there. Yeah. Um, guys, so David, you and I have known each other for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, you came here to the house uh, to talk to my wife and I about some of our plans with the Awake, uh, the Awakened Catholic Show, with the Knights of Columbus. Yes. Um, and we're going to get into more about the Knights of Columbus because I know that for me, before uh, I became a knight, it just seemed like this mysterious group of guys that sometimes wear funny hats and carry swords and um you know obviously that is reason enough to join uh <laughs> but uh, we're going to get into some of um unpacking and unraveling the mystery of what the knights of columbus are yes. um later in the show to start out i want to hear i want to learn more about the two of you and what has brought you to this point in your lives as knights and as as men that are just fully invested in the church and in um, being a part of this fraternal order called the Knights of Columbus. 
Uh, so, David, I've known you the longest, uh, which is not saying a whole lot, but um, <laughs> tell me about yourself. How did you get to this point? How did I get to this point? So, you know what? Um, let's go to the beginning. Let's go to the beginning? Yeah. Newark, New Jersey is where I was born. Okay. And then my family moved to California, and I grew up there. Okay. And then I joined the Army. What part of California? Southern, which is everything. Right. Okay. So, no, we, we lived in some of the coastal cities. Oh, that's not close. Enough. We lived in some of the coastal cities uh, for a little bit, but then we moved inland uh, to the San Bernardino Inland Center area there. Uh, and then eventually ended up in a town called Victorville, which was up in the Mojave Desert. So got a kind of a little bit tired of the heat in the desert life. Mm-hmm. And so I joined the Army and left California. How close is Victorville to like the border of Mexico? Uh, it's actually a lot closer to the border of Las Vegas than it is Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Victorville is uh pretty far. It's, uh, it's up on the 15 freeway on your way out to Victorville or okay. to, uh, Vegas. So San Diego would be a little <laughs> bit closer to the Mexican border. Yeah. Yeah. I actually flew into San Diego. I was doing a parish mission, um, in a little town called El Centro, Yep. which you would think mm-hmm. El Centro would translate to the center. You would think it's at the center of California. No. It is very much not. It is literally on the border with yep. Mexico. Yep. And so I flew into San Diego, drove a few hours to El Centro, and uh, I get out of the car. San Diego was a very reasonable, you know, maybe 80-something degree day. Yeah. V- very warm, but uh-huh. but reasonably warm. Uh-huh. Uh, so I drive a few hours in the air condition of the car. <laughs> so I'm oblivious to the transitions that are happening in the environment around me. I step out of the car, and it's literally 115 degrees. And the people there tell me, yeah, this is a kind of cool day for us. <laughs> and I was like, yes. what? Yes. yes. I mean, it literally, I, I'd never experienced anything like this before. Like, I, you know, I'm from South Florida. I'm used to stepping out of the car into the oven that is the, you know, tropical Caribbean environment. Um, I had never experienced more, like, palpably that sensation of stepping out of a car into an oven. Like, it literally felt like I was in an oven. It was so bizarre. Uh, what were the temperatures like in the area that you were in? Well, Victorville was 115 or okay. more yeah. in the summer. But <laughs> it's funny that you, you compared that to the south. I mean, I was stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana. And, uh, you know, I wanted to get out of the heat <laughs> and out of that. And the first place I go is to probably one of the most humid places that I've ever been. Yeah. And um, I remember I went home on a leave and I'm driving around with just the windows down and I'm thinking, oh, what a great day this is. It's 115 degrees. <laughs> and to me, that didn't feel hot Cause it wasn't because humid. it wasn't 115 degrees that was hugging you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was nice and dry. No, and I mean, crisp. we all like to be hugged. Oh, yes. yes. Even even introverts. I mean, let's be honest. Introverts, <laughs> they're scared of being hugged, but they ultimately like it. We need a good squeeze. <laughs> yeah. We need a good squeeze. <laughs> we all do. We yeah. all need a good squeeze. Um, anyways, so, uh, okay. So, John, where did you come from? No, born and raised Cleveland area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're right here in so Ohio. I went through all the the stuff with LeBron James leaves comes back, all that stuff. I'm so sorry. Rough. That's hard. That's yeah. hard. Rough child. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta love it. That is like the quintessential it. first world problems. Yes. LeBron James yeah. coming and going. Devastated. I can remember that very time we found out that he left. Yeah. <laughs> how did that Devastated. How did that affect you emotionally? Well. <laughs> Tells you to not put your faith in uh, athletic sports teams, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Yes, the yeah. things of this world will fade, yeah. including LeBron James. <laughs> Even though he's not a thing of this world, he's a person. Mm. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. get deep there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's very emotional. Um, so, David, you, you said that you ultimately, um, you grew up Catholic, or no? So, yes, I grew up Catholic to a point. My family kind of ended up just vacating everything together. 
Okay. You know, so we we had a very um, interesting transition in our faith lives. Uh, some rough times. Uh, we we kind of um, you know just they didn't participate. And then uh, we went through some some hard times in life, and and it ultimately ended up being me, my mom, and my sister. And uh, we um, were introduced to the Mormon faith for a little while uh, because we, my mother was unemployed and we had no money coming in. And so one of my best friends was Mormon and uh, I was doing a sleepover at his house and I made a comment of the abundance of food on their table. And oh, that gosh. led to a deeper conversation, which led to him and his mother and a couple of missionaries coming to our house. Ultimately, the agreement to, to paraphrase the whole thing or shorten it a little bit you join the Mormon faith and we'll feed you. Wow. That's ultimately what it was. Um, and, you know, going into that in practice was just odd to me. It didn't fit. It wasn't right to me. And eventually we distanced ourselves from that and, and we, we got away from, for us, for, from that. And the one thing I did take away from that, and, and to this day I live this truly to my heart, God is bigger than anything we can ever imagine. And God is going to reach out to us in ways we will never expect it or be prepared for it. And in my mind and in my heart, God reached out to us through that mm -hmm. avenue at that time. And he was a part of our lives in a way that we didn't expect him to be. Yes. Okay. So uh, my faith journey continued. I, I was stationed, like I said, in, in Louisiana for a little bit. And, you know, the popular church down there is Baptist. Right. And I, I'm a single young man and, and I, I'm in an environment I don't know anybody. So where do you go meet people in general? Go someplace that seems familiar and has good people in it. Go to church. And so um, I, I practiced uh, that that level of faith out there for a while. And then eventually I was stationed in, in Colorado and I met a good Catholic woman. Okay. Right. As a Baptist at 20, this point. 20, well, at this point, I wasn't. You were just kind I mean, of. Whatever. I was just I was wandering in life. Okay. I, I didn't have any direction faith wise in that. Um, I didn't have the direction, but somebody else did, and he led me to my wife, and we've been together for over 27 years now. Glory to God. And, uh, um, you know, I remember specifically uh, two conversations in that. Um, first, when I proposed to Carla, she said, you know, we're going to raise our family Catholic. That's just the way that it is. And, and I said wholeheartedly, well, sure, I want my children to be raised in faith, whether or not, you know, I'm, I'm really into it at this point or not doesn't matter. I agree with you. And then the second thing that came from that is when I asked her father's permission to marry her and uh, who was a Knight of Columbus and an agent for the Knights of Columbus. And he's kind of the man that brought me into all this as well. But we sat down in his basement. I'm on the other side of his desk. He's a little higher than me, very, you know, prominent as the father you're asking to marry his daughter. And uh, he had a very lengthy conversation about the sacrament of marriage and the importance of the commitment. And at the conclusion of that, I kind of looked at him and said, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, I was baptized Catholic when I was born. To which my father-in-law said, why didn't you just start with that? We could have saved an hour-long conversation here. And I was, I was part of the family at that point. Oh, interesting. So, um, but no, and, and so for, you know, we, we got married in a church and, um, you know, what a wonderful spiritual journey that was. I mean, we had a, a priest, Father Paul Wicker, that was just absolutely amazing. Um, made us take steps uh, prior to our marriage that I wasn't really thinking of. He made us to go through engaged encounter. And I remember going, there's a lot of uh, tales in my life about going into things, kicking and screaming. And this is one of those kicking mm. and screaming. <laughs> How could you tell me what I need to do when mm -hmm. I know I love this woman and want to marry this woman? Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the best thing we ever did. I really think that gave us a really core strength at the beginning of our marriage was going through that engaged encounter all because of Father Paul. 
Right. Um, and then, um, you know, early on in our marriage, I was not the guy, you know, I was kicking and screaming and going to church. Oh, I'm too tired. I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. And my wife was very diligent in, in encouraging it and growing it. Uh, and then it wasn't until uh, I joined the Knights of Columbus that really, really engaged me into my faith. Right. And, and you would think of that as kind of like a plug in what we're talking about today, but it's not. It, it is a true honest, it's part of your journey, deep statement that yeah. if I had not joined the Knights of Columbus and listen, I joined for two reasons to shut my father-in-law up and to take out the benefits. That's the real <laughs> reason I joined at the time in my thirties. Right. But again, who's working behind the scenes, Yeah, right? Who feeds you when you're hungry? The Mormons, you know, <laughs> the Mormons, yes, yes. Who feeds you when you're hungry, who gives you faith when you need it. Yeah. Right. And and God is is kind of steering that ship for you. you. You think you're steering it. You're not steering it. Yeah. yeah. On, let's be honest. Yeah. Here, right. You're pulling on that wheel the odd direction. Mm -hmm. He's pulling you back. Yeah. Right. Amen. And so uh, he steered me into this this life of faith where today we're at the point in our faith where my 10 year old child, if we go to put any food in our mouth before we start eating, even in public, he goes, hey. Mm. Right. And and. In the beginning of our relationship and our marriage, my wife and I, I didn't pray. Not openly. Yeah, yeah. It was private. I didn't want to be in public. I didn't want to say a it's prayer. It's an awkward I didn't thing to, to express. Yeah, at yeah. that time it was awkward. And and I had that so wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if I had not been on the path I'm in now, I don't think I would be where I'm at in my life. Praise God. So, Praise God. Yes. If you don't mind, I, I kind of want to take it a step back for a moment. So, okay. um First of all, I think that what you touched on with the fact that, uh, you know, God worked through the Mormons to provide something for you, your mom, your, your siblings that, mm -hmm. that really had to be like, I think that's beautiful. And I think it's so true. Like we should never discount what God might be trying to do just because of a label or whatever. Like, um, like he ultimately wants to bring everyone home to himself and home to the one true church. But but like God does not limit himself to the limitations he gives us. He can, he can do whatever the crap he wants and he does. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. And so I just want to kind of affirm what you were saying there with that, because some people might be listening to this. Oh, you shouldn't take food from Mormons. Like, well, first of all, <laughs> check yourself. Cause that's ridiculous. <laughs> let, let God work however he wants. Yes. And if he's going to use the Mormons, obviously Catholics do that kind of thing too. Um, we just don't make you sign in blood beforehand, but like, <laughs> uh, but Going back even further than that, you know, you kind of grazed upon um, something that I, I, I want to see if we can dive into just a little bit more, because I, I think a lot of people might relate to some of these challenges. So I, I used to work in the Office of Marriage and Family Life uh, for the Diocese of Toledo, um, and I just have been exposed to, through that work that I did, or even just so many relationships that I've had um, with, with friends or whatever family, uh, real challenges that people face and they always, and, and inevitably they feel isolated. They feel like they're on an island. They feel like they're the only ones going through some of these challenges. And inevitably, I, I consistently see this, that it, these types of family dynamics and relationship challenges and whatever, they really do lead um, very consistently to, to struggles with faith. And uh, I'm just wondering if we can unpack even a little bit some of the challenge that you faced in your family early on that kind of... Uh, pulled you guys away from fully living out your Catholic faith, like you described that you ended up it just being with your mom and stuff and that you started out Catholic, but kind of ended up as a family not practicing. Is there any amount of that that we can unpack a little bit? You know, I, I would, I would like to have a good uh, deep 
discussion regarding that. But quite frankly, I don't remember. Okay. There were too many things in our lives at that point that I was focused on other things in my life, hmm. you know, and, and faith was not the forefront of our life because we didn't, there were, there were some other things that occurred in our life where maybe we kind of distanced ourselves from faith in the sense of, you know, well, if it's that important, then why am I in the situation that I'm in? Mm. Right. Um, I think we get, get to that woe is me point sometimes. Yeah. And, and I think we were there, but I think the other thing, uh, that, uh, maybe I can key in on, on something that you said, um, I think our lives transition. I, I think that, you know, for me in my lifestyle, I really feel that the first portion of my life, I guess you can say, my teenage years up to probably about even my 30s, it was more about discrediting and disproving, right? Like, you know, well, what you're going to say, I'm going to punch every hole into. Yeah, yeah. You know, no matter where I was going or attending or participating in, I spent a lot of time trying to find what was wrong instead of what was right. Yeah. You know, and I don't know that there was any defining moment, but eventually in my own life, um, for me, it was stop. <laughs> that, that's useless. Well, whose time am I wasting other than my own? Whose breath am I wasting other than my own? Mm -hmm. Why don't I just open myself up to what can be and let it happen? And instead of looking for the flaws, look for the miracles. Oh, yeah. Right? I love that. And, and I think that, you know, I can't say everybody goes through that, but I think there's some parts in our life where we experience that. Some of us go through it longer, like I did, mm -hmm. uh, than others. Some of us are raised uh, a little bit differently when we're, where we're, you know, very, our family is very directed in leading everything by faith, where my family was at that point in my life, probably more directed with leaving everything to just surviving, mm. you know, so. And that's a real that's a reality that a lot of families face is that survival mode based on the challenges that are presented and stuff. So yeah, I, I definitely affirm like I, in my own life, I experienced things like that for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, growing up and then otherwise. Um, so John, you grew up in the Cincinnati area. Is that yeah, what you said? Cleveland, area. Cleveland area. Just yeah, kidding. Yeah. The um, sea, the other sea. yeah, the other C here in Ohio. Ohio. Uh, yeah. yeah. The other, other C. Uh, so tell us about your faith journey. Were you always Catholic? Yeah. So you got to start at the beginning. Yeah. Baptism. Yeah. So I was baptized infant baptism. Uh, I think it was the same day as a Browns game. So I had oh my gosh. Browns <laughs> logo on my white <laughs> baptismal socks. Are you serious? Yeah, not joking. On oh that. my gosh. Um, so I was born and raised Catholic. I went to PSR, you know, growing up, went to public schools. So that was, um, I guess, deferring the responsibility of catechesis and so forth to, uh, to be educated in, in PSR and, you know, my recollection of it. And I've seen the books, you know, looking back at it. You know, it was some killer, you know, popsicle sticks, Noah's Ark, you know, all of that. And um, I just recall my, my faith growing up being more so of a, all right, we have to check this box on Sunday. And then the next day too, on Monday night, you got to check the PSR box as well. And, right. You know, running right from, you know, school or sports there and, you know, scarfing down food on the way. And, you know, we got there like 20 minutes or, you know, 20 minutes late um, and, Apparently we had homework that was due that mm -hmm. same day. And other than learning like how to pray the Our Father and Hail Mary in that whole, God only knows, like eight years up until uh, preparation for confirmation, sign of the cross and, you know, how to pray a few prayers is, you know, what I can say I, I got out of that. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that's everyone's experience with, you know, uh, faith formation growing up, but that that's what it was like for me. So I 
piggy that back off of, you know, going off to high school. I went to a Catholic high school in Cleveland, St. Ignatius. Go cats for any Jesuit educated uh, <laughs> high schoolers out there. Um, that at that point in high school, I, I really and I strongly accredit Panera Bread for keeping me Catholic because it's, it sounds ridiculous, does it? Yeah, Panera Bread. They are not yeah. uh, paying for that endorsement. No, no, so. no endorsement. <laughs> not a paid advertisement. But my family said we're going to Panera Bread after mass on Sunday. I'm like, oh, well, heck, I might as well go if it means I can go get you know some some good brunch afterwards. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Um, go and it really what it what it's to say is just going through the motions, mm-hmm. checking the boxes, checking the boxes. Um, saying, all right, do I believe this? Once I go off to college, I, I, I ran into maybe people that disagree with what the church teaches, which was, you know, something that I'd never really experienced before, you know, growing mm-hmm. up in a, a household where principles were generally understood and, you know, people generally agreed with me with when it came to friends and so forth. I'll go off to college, I went to John Carroll University on the east side. And at that point, um, I had experienced people that disagreed, you know, with what the church teaches. And it it, it, it planted that seed for why do I believe what I believe? Is it true? Mm-hmm. Is it because my mom and dad told me so? Or is is this reality? Yes. And I didn't know the answer to that. So what that sparked an interest for me in just diving headfirst, Father Mike Schmidt's videos, ripping them, ripping them, mm-hmm. ripping them. You know, every single, you know, Bishop Barron, word on fire, diving headfirst into that to see, wow, I was actually able to ask the question without I guess the the rebuke that one might get saying, well, why are you asking that? Are you unfaithful? Yeah. You know, and I, I think some people might be tempted to to refrain from asking yep. those types of questions to say, all right, I, I feel a little uncomfortable about this. I don't know if I'm I'm fully gung-ho with belief X, Y, or Z. Can I talk to somebody about this without, you know, seeming like I'm, you know, an apostate or mm-hmm. something like that, like I'm a heretic or something? I had the same experience when yeah. I was trying to figure crap out. Yeah. People would say, oh, you just got to have faith like a child. It's like, there's no way that that's what that means. Yeah, like no. you're supposed to be able to, if it's true, you should be able to ask questions about it. Yeah. 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 And, and, and then too, for, for not only being able to, to know it, to be true yourself. Yeah. Assenting to that. Yeah. I, I agree. I believe. But then someone else says, well, why do you believe that? Another step is to be, you know, truly be able to articulate that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe this because, you know, this verse or that verse or whatever, but it's, it's always, you know, in that context of, of relationships. So, um, at that point in college, uh, was really when I started to take my faith more personally, um, because the stakes were higher, meaning what, why do I believe this? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And then you, so before we started the show, you shared that you, you were a seminarian. Yeah. Yeah. What, what led you to seminary? Yeah. We're going to have to keep going right after uh, entering college. So I, I went to John Carroll, my mother, she's a personal financial advisor. She's the reason why I went to college for, for finance and entrepreneurship. I, okay. I'm like, I want to do that. I could do that. Um, and, you know, throughout college, I this was where we get to the role the Knights played in my life. Um, I went on. I, it's funny. I, I grew up uh, in high school playing rugby. You know, the, the we do that here asinine sport where it's like football, but instead of a helmet and shoulder pads, you have just a mouth guard, right? That's (laughs) pretty much interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No. And, um, so I played that in high school and then still in college and the commitment level in, in college was far less. So I was able to, I wasn't able to make that excuse anymore that I can't do things with my faith, like, you know, be in the pro-life group or, you know, be a part of campus ministry or those kinds of things that I kind of wanted to do, you know, from a a, uh, ministry standpoint. 
it opened up that free time. So I couldn't make that excuse. So I, I joined the pro-life group and it led me to going to my first March for Life in Washington, D.C. Pl- plain and short of it, I, I was the only man on that trip that wasn't in the Knights of Columbus at John Carroll University. That's as simple as it gets. So uh, I went on that trip and I sat next to the Grand Knight. He told me about this group called the Knights. And, you know, most have that in impression that the knights it's those old guys carrying the oxygen tanks you know and 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 some do but for me i i never i I never knew that freshman sophomore junior senior yeah that was it old guys grad students they were like 26 you know that's that was the old knights right Mm. whereas you know you go off to other councils that aren't you know a college uh, fraternity essentially um you have varying ages right but it was really 18 to 26 that was it seemed relatable and accessible to you yeah and then to to go off of that i i met these guys that were praying the rosary like these beads that i'd never really yeah. i'd known about it but they were doing it and you don't have to do that and they were doing it and that 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 piqued my interest and they were going to mass not on sundays which you're not required to do either and i saw that these guys were actually really happy and it was that example where i'm like that piques my interest heck i'll go to daily mass with somebody right and, you know, in a small quaint chapel, less than a dozen people, right? Um, but once I started that daily mass regiment saying, all right, there's this given time and place every single day where I get to pray. Mm-hmm. This is when I pray. Without scheduling it, I wouldn't have done it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's where deep diving into, okay, this isn't this isn't a nice cracker I get to, get to right. eat of. This, growing up, I might have glossed over this, but that, that that's... God, like that's Jesus. Mm. You, you don't have to wait till every Sunday. And I'm like, well, why hasn't anyone told me this? <laughs> <laughs> and that that's where my faith started to blossom. So to get to the seminary part where I was discerning and I said, Lord, what what, what do you want of me? I, I made that leap of faith to discern seminary formation. So I went from finance and entrepreneurship to theology and philosophy, like a complete 180. And in making that leap, um, I really got to dive headfirst into those same reasons that I was interested originally, the philosophy, the theology, the articulation of why we believe what we believe, not up in the clouds, right? right. To be able to actually make sense, practical applications. Uh, and of course, you know, with that, I was taking nine to 12 credits of philosophy a semester, uh, reading Thomas Aquinas, you know, for three different classes at once. It, it, it forces you to, to, to form that, that worldview and, Without that lens, you know, to, to view reality as it actually is, this is truth. This is not, yeah. you know, without that framework, um, I don't know where I would be. You know, yeah, like the, the critical thinking that it helps you to yeah. develop, to dive into Aquinas, like yeah. especially from the Summa standpoint where he breaks down the, the, the methodology of, of processing sure. an idea yeah. or a question. Yeah. Um, it, it's really, it was invaluable for me. Uh, you know, Aristotelian philosophy, like all this kind of stuff early on. And you wouldn't think to default to that, but it really helps you see the world through a different lens. And I think a more beautiful lens, a more profound lens where it's less about like just learning facts and more about, uh, you know, we talk a lot about conforming our hearts to God's uh, heart, but I think also conforming the mind Mm. to the way that the father thinks, you know, I think is so so beautiful and powerful. That's so good. Yeah. I like that. And I think Aquinas is up in the clouds as it might seem to somebody is, is, is really relatable, right? Because Mm -hmm. for the same reason why I said, well, why do I believe what I believe? He addresses objections and gives answers to them. He assumes that people are going to have some sort of of rebuttal right mm-hmm. it's, it's not gonna it's not like you're just gonna say it and people are gonna be like oh you said so gotcha sounds good yeah. i agree yeah. right 
that that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Right. You can, you can introspect and, you know, read into it. What is that? Is that for sure? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And he doesn't straw man the opposing ways of mm-hmm. looking at things, uh, sure. which is a way, if you're watching or listening and you're not like, what, what the heck is a straw man? <laughs> um, it's kind of a way of presenting an argument that is like the weakest form of that argument, which is a really great manipulative tool to use if you want to make someone look dumb or an idea look dumb. Right. Well, Thomas Aquinas presents ideas like in their best form and faithfully and then obliterates them (laughs) so uh super super encourage that and then so you you, you're in seminary you're studying philosophy theology and uh now you're engaged so tell us about that journey yeah it didn't happen overnight yeah okay yeah (laughs) so really what happened was i was fully accepted to go off to the graduate level seminary saint mary's uh for the cleveland diocese and uh we got sent home for you know the pandemic virtual classes and I'm a part of this really awesome group. Oh, this is a minor plug at St. Columkill Parish in Parma. There's this young adult group called Catching Fire. And it's uh, it was started by my two college students, my my good friends. One's a groomsman uh, in my wedding. They saw that, all right, there's there's youth group, brings you up to high school, and then there's like 50 plus. Like, what are we do what are we doing between there? Like we're mm-hmm. in college, we're we're not doing the pizza parties, you know, in youth group anymore but we still are trying to be on that road to holiness in community. Mm-hmm. Where are we supposed to go? So they started this young adult group and during the pandemic to stay sane, uh, like little kids, we would play tennis on a daily basis. I'm not making this up. So it's not a fraternity of pyromaniacs. No, no, okay. not, not a fr- Yeah. Catching fire. You would think, you would think like, <laughs> yeah, this awesome firework club, you know, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. but yeah. So we, through that community, really awesome friendships that I've developed, you know, People that you could say, hey, let's hit daily mass, drop everything, you know, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, those holy friendships that, you know, once you kind of agree on all the the levels of our faith, you can really, you know, like go into leisure a lot easier instead of, you know, maybe bickering or debating on something, right? Um, once you've got that base level um, agreed upon, right? Um, but playing tennis to stay sane like little mm-hmm. kids would be like you know, driving or riding your bike as a kid because you didn't have a car, you know, the basketball court and all the kids in the neighborhood would be there. Um, it was like that, but we're, we were grown adults, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> college age, right? Well, and it also becomes an entry point to invite people into community. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's beautiful. That's powerful. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. And then, well, the biggest part with that is that entry level for community uh, was an entry level for my now fiance. Uh, oh, dang. Kay- Kayla was invited by my good buddy, my groomsman, Jimmy Ludwig. God love them to this group because she posted a pro-life story on her Instagram. I don't think he knows that. So Jimmy, if you're hearing this, yeah, <laughs> she, she, <laughs> that's the the main reason why. And uh, she posted a pro-life story. She said, Hey, again, going off of the personal invite, Hey, you might like this group. You should come check it out. That's awesome. Invite pulling into community. Yeah. Um, and then from that, we kind of got to that point where we're like, Hey, we could be friends. You know, she perfectly fit into our community. And it was to that point where it's, it might be taboo to talk about, but it's like, I'm in the seminary. I can't like you. You can't like me. We can't talk because you're attractive. <laughs> and, and I think you think I'm attractive. So we can't talk anymore. <laughs> so no kidding, uh, Nick, we didn't talk for like a month. And uh, it was really, you know, on my heart, really on her heart. And God love her. She has a great devotion to St. Therese of Lisieux. And uh, she prayed a novena uh, through the little flower. She asked her very explicitly for clarity in regards to our relationship and uh, gives me goosebumps, you know, thinking about it. But she asked her for yellow roses. She was babysitting this house that she was at was just wrecked for renovations because during COVID, everyone's like, all right, let's just rip out everything and let's totally fix everything up. That's what they were doing. But 
on the only table in the house, dining room table. She walks in on the ninth day. Beautiful bouquet of yellow roses. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know it at the time, but I was like, well, we, we can't, like, not talk to each other. Like, that's that's not healthy. Let's let's get up to, to mass to talk beforehand to, to square things away. And then she expresses that to me. And I, I had no idea. And I'm like, well, Lord, if this is true, this this changes a lot of things. That's beautiful. And and all the the signs, the nudges, right, in our faith that, that got me to make that leap to enter seminary formation really didn't compare to the clarity that I had to make that leap to, to formally withdraw. And I'm like, I, I would hate to, and this was the thought that I had, I would hate to have my nose in the marble at ordination oh, and think, wow, that that might have been what God is calling me to do. So it, it was at least enough to make me say, all right, I'm, I'm going to, to discern this. And uh, we can't, we can't discern priesthood in a, in an armchair. You can't discern married life in an armchair. You have to, you can only discern that, you know, reality Mm -hmm. tangibly. Right. So as a priest in seminary, married life with a human being, Mm -hmm. right. You can't do it without that. So uh, we dated, uh, it was beautiful. We started dating last year, uh, July, and uh, we got engaged after a 33 day, uh, Consecration to St. Joseph, Feast of St. Joseph, March 19th. Wow. So here Congratulations, we are. man. Thank you. Thank you. It's a super exciting time. November 20th uh, is our big yeah, day. So on, on the day of recording this, uh, yeah. I'm not sure when our producers are going to publish this episode, yeah. but on the day of recording this, you're 17 days away from 17 your, your days. wedding day. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. It's and exciting I love also at the end of that novena, um, which is such a beautiful, I've heard and I experienced, my wife and I had a crazy <laughs> novena story. Yeah. Um, if you're curious about novenas, look into it because God works through them in such a crazy, powerful way. Um, but uh, I love that at the end of that novena, she has that experience with the yellow bouquet of roses. And then you guys are like, let's go to mass yeah, and, and let's talk. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if that resonates with you, viewer or listener, uh, we have a great shirt in our merch store. Uh where it says it's a play on Jerry Maguire. It says you had me at mass. Yeah. So check it out if you're interested. It might be a great gift for your fiance. Yeah. John. Oh my goodness, I'm um, gonna have to check that out. But anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that's powerful. So uh, then it was like, okay, goodbye, clerical priesthood. Yeah. And yeah. hello, sacramental marriage. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, people are like, do you regret it? I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. To to say to be able to be formed as a priest for an, an entire parish, an entire flock of, of faithful parishioners yeah how how would i be able to be a, a priest of a household mm. and entrusted with a family the the, the souls of a family yeah right not only my own but that of spouse and and, and lord if it be your will children how, how would i be prepared you know to do that amen uh, yeah so i love it all right gentlemen we cannot keep pushing this off it's time for the Kerygma speed round. You guys ready? <laughs> yes, let's get it. All right, David, you first. First question, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is heart. Can you pull it closer? Oh, I'm sorry. Jesus is heart. Um, Jesus is the reality of God on earth. Um, and I'd like to say Jesus, hopefully ride shotgun with me in my life or I, I'd like to say maybe I ride shotgun with him love that you know yeah but it, it, he's he's everything I mean you know Jesus is my wife Jesus is my kid Jesus is what has brought the gift of everything here mm. you know and, and just to put it in in simple phrases the way my brain works that's so. beautiful and and I think the idea of of seeing Jesus and your wife and your kids is is kind of this beautiful dualistic like 
um, you you receive the Christ's blessings and graces through your wife and your kids, but you're also serving your wife and your kids, and it's kind of this beautiful dual meaning behind that, as I see it. There's, um, you know, I, I brought up Father Paul uh, earlier. He was the one that married us, and there was a point, um, you know, later part in our life. You know, my I have an 18 year old son and a 10 year old son now, and um, we invited him over for dinner. And, or I should say he invited himself over for dinner <laughs> okay. uh, because I had questions of my own faith with him about my journey and where mm-hmm. I was at. Was I really Catholic? Was I really living the life I needed to? And we had dinner with him and we just sat and we talked and, and we just, just visited. And it was funny because when we got done with dinner, we had dessert. He said, okay, are you ready to hear my assessment? He goes, isn't that why you brought me here is for my assessment? <laughs> <laughs> Truly Catholic, you know? And, oh yeah, Father Paul. And, and he said, I see... God, Christ, and Catholicism in your motions with your family. Mm. You represent the head of your household like Christ. And you give your heart and you give your soul to your family like the relationship you have with Christ. And your family gives it back to you. And he said, so there is nothing that we should look about on this about what have you achieved and what have you done when the true reflection of your faith is the way that you live your life with your family. Wow. So to answer your question, that's my answer to your question on who Jesus is. I love that. That's beautiful. Absolutely. John, who is Jesus to you? Wow. That's a great question. And, and, <laughs> and this, is, coming. this is speed round, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I took a little yeah. too much time. <laughs> okay. If that was quick, I, uh, this is going to be like instant. Um, that's a good one. I'd, I'd say, well, of course, love, love. And I think that's what you were getting at, David, is that even it's, it's not like your wife is literally Jesus, <laughs> but it's 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 that uh, unconditional love that in providing or in receiving is, you know, uh, how we experience that here on earth. And then, too, I would say, you know, it might this this might be a little too metal of a Catholic answer, but food who is Jesus food nourishment. Did you say right? metal? Yeah, this, that's pretty metal. I mean, I love if, you, that. if you tell people like, what, what's that way for you? No, that like that's Jesus's body and blood, eat, like eating his flesh and, and drinking his blood. That that might, well, might turn people away like it did for our Lord when he said it yeah. himself. John right? 6, 6, um, 6. Yeah, so I'd say spiritual nourishment, um, constant uh, forgiveness, constant forgiveness. Beautiful. Is, uh, my answer to that. I love that. Yeah. David, elevator pitch for life with Jesus. Be real. Be real. I mean, we're human. He's not. Right? Well, he is now also. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. right. He but was God, God brought down yeah, into yeah, the yeah. form of human, but he didn't live a life of sin. Yes, right. Right? So repeat the question one more time. What's an elevator pitch for a life with Jesus? Just live life to its truest. Oh, yeah. Live life the way it should be. Don't try to prove anything. Don't try to be hateful to people. Jesus was love. Jesus did not speak to everybody that was purely faithful. Jesus spoke to everybody who was not. Mm. Right? He speaks to us who are faithful as well. But that's... That's my elevator pitch. I love that. Just a quick moment. I want to break away from the conversation to remind you that this episode is sponsored by the Cary Agency with the Knights of Columbus. And if you want to learn more about the upcoming virtual career fair, visit kofc.awakencatholic.org. John. Yeah, elevator pitch for a life with Jesus would be that that peace and consolation that comes with it. Like if, especially 
if, if you're just like sick of like the, the friction of, of life and I've got to worry about this, that, and the other thing, the peace of knowing that that's okay. Mm. Like you can, you can offer that up. You can entrust that to our Lord that of which, you know, it's not like he didn't suffer first, right? Mm-hmm. Before, before I did. Um, so I think, I think there's a, a peace and unburdening to you, even though you are burdened, knowing that you're not bearing that yourself. So the pitch is if you're sick of bearing it yourself, mm. if you don't have that, I guess you feel like you have that cross and assume that someone didn't first carry that for you. The elevator pitches, he's ready to, to carry it for you. You just have to hand it to him. Yeah. So I'd say that's my elevator pitch. Beautiful. Love that. David, elevator pitch for life specifically as a Catholic. I think it runs right along the line of the answer I gave with regards to, to Jesus. I mean, it's it's the embodiment of our faith in its truest, purest form, going all the way back to Christ and the disciples. Okay, so um, I, I would, I, you know, not to get too elaborate, but I would have to say that it aligns exactly with the previous answer I gave you. I love that. Beautiful. John, same question. Yeah, no. I, the way I, I think of it, you could be sick looking at all the different Christian faiths, um, Hundreds of thousands, probably at this Hang point. Hang on a second. To say, Ethan. Okay, sorry. Start yeah, that over. We're good. Yeah. No. So why? It's the question is essentially why be Catholic? What's the elevator pitch for life within the church? You could get sick and tired of looking at all the different religions. You wouldn't have a whole lifetime to. I guess you wouldn't even be able to accomplish that in a whole lifetime researching and diving into all of them. Um, one person disagrees on one thing and then starts their own sect. All those splinterings must mm-hmm. have started somewhere. And I think the, the elevator pitch for life in the church is is knowing that he he walked this earth and didn't leave us orphaned. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there, I always had this false conception, and I think a lot of people do that, like this this book miraculously in bindings <laughs> fell from the sky. Like right. we, he, he said, here you go, disciples. This is This is the Bible, you know. Everyone needs to read this. You mm-hmm. got it? And then they started a printing press and then went from there, right? That That's not the reality of it. So I'd say, where did that fold begin? Where 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 did he not leave us orphaned? And it's saying, the gates of hell will never prevail against us, right? Eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? It's not, I was here and then I won't see you again until, until we come face to face. Yeah. You can participate in that heaven on earth, right? Yep. So that we... When, when we get to that, you know, day, the beatific vision, do we want to be shocked at what it's like? We're like, wow, that was a lot like what we experienced on earth. <laughs> that's the pitch. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. I'm going to add a little note to that. Please. Um, you know, I, I spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, my journey. You know, I've been here, I've been there, I've been here, I've been there, you know, and the joke's been I've been trying to pull my card from everything I can <laughs> and try I was going to get in the right door, right? <laughs> but um, I, I had a very significant experience. Um, you know, in, in part of my career as the Knights of Columbus, one of the things that they do is that they do have faith trips that they'll send us on incentive trips. And we got to go to Portugal and Spain. Mm. And we got to uh, to go to Our Lady of Fatima 
And then in Spain, we went to, some of us got to go to Seville. And um, we went to the fifth largest basilica in the world there. And we went to mass. And there's little chapels that go all the way around the basilica, right? And we had a mass in one of the side chapels. And the, the populace of the people in this mass were agents from the United States, agents from Canada, and agents from Puerto Rico. We're in Spain. It is an Irish priest that comes up to give mass in Latin, right? And he makes this comment in the beginning of it. But the truly significant thing that I got from that was the mass that I was sitting in at that point, at that place in the world was the same mass that was being given in my hometown at that time in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And it really gave me a reflection back on the differences between Catholic faith and all the others. There was no consistency everywhere else I went. Yeah. And there was consistency with our Catholic faith. That's powerful. Absolutely. Amen. Thanks for that. That was a a great Kerygma speed round. I love it. We always get different answers from everyone. It's amazing how this is such a, these are simple questions and inevitably we get different answers every time. It's awesome. Uh, All right, guys, next thing I want to dive into. Uh, I want to see if we could just share briefly, each one of you, one moment in your life where you really wrestled with God, where you really struggled uh, to believe or you struggled with being frustrated or let down by God. You want to go first? Yeah, I'll take it. And it, it really takes me to that that first experience I had in, in college where, you know, people disagreed with what I believed and it, it made me say, well, was I just spoon fed this? Like, was, was I let on for mm. a lie? And if God is real at that point, I would have been, it would have done me wrong, right? Saying that I was led on to believe something that wasn't true. And not just, it's not like I believe two plus two equal four instead of five. And I was wrong on something so minute like that. Like if the whole way I view the world and reality was wrong, how earth shattering would that be? And I, I struggled with that. And um, thankfully, you know, in, in having that on my knees, on the ground, and it might speak true to somebody, like literally on your knees, looking up to our Lord, begging and crying, saying, why, why would you do this to me? Mm. Why would you do this to me? Um, I think that plea, and if others have, have done so, might be that little opening that he gives you know, to, to reach back out to you um, because he, he won't leave us orphaned. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. right. So that would, that would, I would say that was the biggest moment in, in, in my faith where I said, I struggle. I don't know if this is real. Um, why would you do this to me? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How yeah. about you, David? I can't say that there was ever a time where I didn't like God or I blamed God for something. Um, yeah, I think there's been times in my life where I've searched for his presence when I wasn't sure if he was there. Um, you know, I, and, and, and I alluded a little bit earlier, we, we had some hardships when I grew up and probably a little bit harder than some other people may have experienced. And of course there's people out there that have had life really, really terrible. And, um, you know, I've never harbored a blame 
or a, a dislike or a hatred or anything like that toward God, because I don't in my life think that we're victims of every, anything at all. It's just life. It's just circumstances we have to deal with. I think my hardest struggle is going to God and asking him for something when I feel like that I've been blessed in my life already. Mm. And I feel like that there are so many more people out there that need, I want to be very careful the way I phrase this. I don't want to say need him more than us, but are in a life situation that is so much more desperate and drastic and horrible throughout our whole world. And I struggle with the idea of what, why would I ask him for something when somebody needs it more than I do? And I've struggled with that. Even to this day, I struggle with that. Um, but I've got a very dear friend of mine in Colorado. His name is Brandon. And um, I, we spoke about this and I always felt like he was stronger and connected in his faith than I was. Right. And, and I brought this subject up to him and, and he said, you know what? I'm going to put it into the perspective that I understand it. He goes, you're a parent. No matter what your child does, no matter where your child is, if that, if your child needs you, will you ever harbor ill will, bad feelings to them for asking you for help? Yeah. And I said, absolutely not. And he said, there it is right there. Yeah. Mm. That's who God is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like we can have this, we can carry this scarcity mindset of like, there's only so much grace, there's only so much, you know, uh, will on God's part to, to help. <laughs> and we want to make sure that we don't, you know, uh, overuse it. We don't want to empty the <laughs> reservoirs of God's love and grace yes, uh, yes. on us when other people might need it more. It's like he is just this infinite, boundless source of love and mercy and grace and, and power. And, and it's really, I mean, we do this in our day-to-day -day lives, aside from even just God, like we have this scarcity mindset, like when we're jealous, it's a scarcity mindset where we, it's like, um, I, I wish I had that thing and, and where it becomes really sinful is when we start to wish that that other person didn't have it. But like, there's just this idea that like, there is only so much goodness to go around. And so either I want I want to hoard that goodness or I, I'm not worthy enough to be the one to ask for that goodness because these other people really deserve it or really, um, and all of it's wrong. Like God is infinite. God, God is, is pure, boundless, infinite love and, and mercy. And, um, yeah. So thanks for sharing that. That's beautiful. Absolutely. John, uh, when you went through the struggle, you described like yeah. what, what, how would you define the resolution to that having been? See, it was really at that point that. It's kind of like, what, what do I do when I have nowhere else to go? Mm. Right. And it was really there that I reverted back to all that I knew, which was a regiment of going to mass, even though I didn't want to. Mm. So I, I went and I was still going to mass in college up until that point. But like that time, if you go to a chapel or a church, you're the only one in there mm -hmm. and you've got nothing. You feel like just so empty and broken and desperate. And you, you make that little ask, like, I need you. Mm. I need you. That That's what that resolution was. And he so shows I, up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the way he showed up was every day through Holy Mass. Mm. That's when that reality started to to set in for me. Um, if you need me, then you could, it's like, if, if you need me, just call me any day, like anytime, right? And not even just call, but like if you need to meet up, mass, right? Mm -hmm. Face to face, mm -hmm. going to a chapel, I'm there. 
it makes you realize it's 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 not on him. It's mm-hmm. on it's on you. Like churches are open. <laughs> yeah. You, know? uh, you could make the sign of the cross whenever. You could pray whenever. Phone phone lines always open, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, we make it seem like all right. No, that that ball's in his court, and like if he needs me, he'll let me know. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> but that was the resolution. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we. I mean, he he never fails when we open ourselves up to him um, authentically and humbly. He never fails to show up. That's that's powerful. Thank you, uh, gentlemen. A number of years ago, they released uh, the, the Knights of Columbus released this update that they were going to be changing the uniform that men wore. Yeah, changing the funny hats. Yeah, um, if I remember correctly, removing the sword. No, we have the sword. You still have the sword. Yeah. Okay, just yeah. kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, a lot of that was a very contentious time. Like people really liked the the kind of extravagant pointiness of the hats and the, sure. the fancy suits and the, you know all the feathery whatever it was. Not feathers, but uh, chapeau. Chapeau. Yeah, it was the yeah. chapeau, the Puffy cape, hat. Yeah, yeah, the tuxedo. Yeah, and you know I feel like by now people are kind of getting used to the changes and stuff, and um, mm. they were considering. Uh, not uh, allowing anyone to enjoy the Catholic Weird Stuff segment on the Awakened Catholic show. Uh, and so here at Awakened Catholic, we just kind of say, <laughs> no, we're not going to let you guys do that. You take my feathers away, but you can't take my my Catholic Weird Stuff segment away. Ethan, let's hit it. Catholic Weird Stuff. Why do they do the things that they do? Let's learn some Catholic Weird Stuff. It's a word. Ladies and gentlemen, for today's Catholic Weird Stuff segment, we're going to be talking about what the crap is or are the Knights of Columbus. Um, and I, I think, you know, there's this whole uh, mystique surrounding fraternal orders, you know, like, what the heck is the Key Club? I know that they sponsored a baseball team that was in Little League. Like, there's, what is, you know, what is a fraternal order in its essence? Because you got things like, you know, the the Knights Templar, and you got like, uh, what is the, the, the really... The one with the eye, the the really the Freemasons. The free you got the Freemasons, and you got the Illuminati, and is like is the Knights of Columbus the Catholic Illuminati? The answer is yes. No, it's, it's not. Um, so, so David, could you kind of explain to us uh, what is you were you were touching on it a second ago? Yeah. What is the Knights of Columbus? So, the Knights of Columbus was established in 1882 by a um, blessed Father Michael J. McGivney. He is on his path to sainthood. Um, and to understand the Knights a little bit better, I'm going to kind of, it'll take me a minute. Uh, we'll kind of go back in time and talk a little bit about Father McGivney. His mother and father immigrated to the United States separately. They didn't know each other. They immigrated from uh, Ireland. They came into the United States with three strikes against them. They were Irish, they were immigrant, and they were Catholic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, fortunately for us, they settled in a Catholic, their family, they settled in Catholic community. They met in a Catholic community and they started their family through the Catholic faith. Michael, Father Michael J. McGivney, Michael was the first of 13 children born to that family. Okay. Um, he grew up with uh, a very devout faith life. He was exposed to areas that were trying to grow Catholic faith in an environment that did not allow it. And in order for our faith to grow back then, just like now, we need to have men who want to be priests. And so Michael found a calling toward the priesthood at a young age, went to the seminary, um, both in the United States and in Canada. I'm kind of trying to condense this a little bit for the show here. Um, 
His father worked extra hours to pay for him to go to seminary. About three quarters of the way through seminary, his father died. Now, his father was the breadwinner of the family. Michael was the eldest son of that family. So what was his responsibility? Providing. Provide for the family. So he had to stop his studies in seminary, go back home and provide for that family, to bring income for that family, to keep the family together. Okay. Now, fortunately for us, that didn't last very long. His mother was able and and his uh, immediate siblings were able to secure a way to bring income into the family, which freed him up to go back to seminary, which he had to finish without his father paying for it. He had to come up with the money and donations and scholarships. Eventually is ordained a priest. Okay. And is assigned as the assistant pastor at a little church in New Haven, Connecticut called St. Mary's. Now, St. Mary's is located in the heart, at that time, in the heart of a Protestant community. It's across the street from Yale University, which was a Protestant college. You've got a young priest in his 20s that immediately is thrust into the role of responsibility because the head priest is sick and ailing and not able to perform his regular duties. You've got a parish that is ultimately almost bankrupt because they spent all the money they could to build the new church, and it's surrounded by affluent Protestants. Okay, so he's now in a community where he has to bring Catholic families back to their faith. Mm -hmm. Right. How do you do that? How do you attract people to your faith when you're living in an environment where the breadwinners, men who were bringing in money for the household, couldn't even find a job if they said that they were Catholic? Wow. Okay, we have a museum in New Haven, Connecticut, and there's a sign in there that literally says Catholics need not apply. Wow. This comes from this era. Okay, so what Father McGivney also recognized is something that was very strong back then were fraternal organizations, organizations that did not represent our faith, that took us away from our faith back then. But men were being drawn to it because they were communities of like-minded people that not only allowed an environment for them to gather and get together on a personal level, but offered them benefits and support when they needed it. Mm -hmm. But there was nothing that existed from our Catholic standpoint. Hmm. So the most recognizable individual in our Catholic faith, the most popular superstar in our faith back then was Christopher Columbus, right? Interesting. So Father McGivney, along with other parishioners in not only his parish, but other Catholic community parishes around them, formed and chartered the Knights of Columbus. And this was a fraternal organization that would attract men to come to their faith, participate in their faith, bring their families to their faith, and offer them an environment and an outlet that didn't take them away from it. Mm. Okay? The other harsh reality back then was there were many instances where men died young Men were disabled young and were not able to bring in income for the household or they died and left their house financially destitute. Okay. There's a saying that has gone around. A lot of people may have heard this if they're at all familiar with the Knights of Columbus. The Knights of Columbus were founded for widows and orphans. Okay. Where this comes from is if the breadwinner of the family died. Okay. And there's a story about a family by the name of the Downses. And he is the head of the household. His wife is pregnant with their 14th child, and there's three adolescent children in the home. And when he dies, he's bankrupt. There's no money for the family. So there were vagrancy laws in New Haven, Connecticut at the time. And what the vagrancy laws said is that if the breadwinner of the family died, 
The surviving widow had to provide a bond to the courts, a cash bond to the courts, and had to find a guardian for each one of their children, adolescent children. The bond was anywhere from nine hundred to fifteen hundred dollars. Which back then is astronomical. That's astronomical, right? Amazing, right? So Mrs. Downs couldn't come up with all the money, and she could not find a guardian for her son William. Well, this was a Catholic family. Where did we go to for help? We went to our church. She went to Father McGivney. Father McGivney had lived through this himself, and he had seen this tragedy happening within his community all too often. Mm-hmm. So what Father McGivney did is he secured the bond money by going to other Catholic professionals at the time. He secures the bond money. He goes to the courthouse. He stands up during the hearing. He presents the bond, and he takes guardianship of William. Wow. Because nobody else would. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. And Father McGivney leaves the church, or I'm sorry, leaves the court that night, goes to the church, goes into the basement, and hosts the first ever Knights of Columbus meeting. Wow. And at the conclusion of that meeting, he takes a hat, he takes a basket, he passes it around the chambers, and he says, it is our responsibility as brother knights to care for the needs of our families. Put money in the hat. Wow. We paid the first widow of a brother knight $947 back then. And that was from within our community. So Father McGivney founded the Knights of Columbus to bring us to our faith, right? And to provide the much needed benefits that we needed at that time. Which today translates essentially to life insurance. Uh, To life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care, uh, retirement planning that we do for our families as well. Right. Okay. Um, I alluded a little bit earlier, and I want to tie this in real quick to this, um, about what it does for our faith. And, you know, I was in my 30s when I joined. I was young. I was working 60, 70 hours at a fireplace company at the time. I was going to DeVry University at night and on the weekends to earn my bachelor's degree. My wife was working as a teacher. She was going back to college to earn her master's degree uh, for her for more advanced t- teaching c- credentials. And my older son was probably three or four years old. Oh, my gosh. Right? I can't even imagine having a three- <laughs> or four-year-old kid in the conditions you just described. I didn't have time to eat, sleep, or breathe, much less join the Knights of Columbus. But I said earlier, I joined for two reasons, yeah. to shut my father-in-law up because <laughs> yeah. he was an agent for the Knights of Columbus and to take out the benefits for my family. Right. Okay. Now, some of you listening now, right now going, well, it's, a, it's benefits. I, you know, I don't need to join for benefits. I don't need benefits. Why would I join? That's not the point. I told you earlier, God steers the car, whether or not we're trying to move the wheel the other way. Right. And I went into the Knights of Columbus kicking and screaming. And I joined. I went to my first council meeting. I was the youngest guy there by 30 years and only one of three guys without oxygen on. <laughs> literally? This is Colorado, literally, this is oh Colorado Springs. We're at Divine <laughs> Redeemer in Colorado Springs, higher altitude. I'm trying to struggle to listen to what's being said over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm sitting in this meeting and I'm going, what am I doing here? Yeah. This is, this is not for me, right? So I went to another meeting and then I pulled a class load on a Wednesday night which was the same time they were doing the council meetings. I went, see, I'm out. I got to take something else, right? So a couple weeks later, a month later or two, I get a call or an email from a brother night saying, hey, listen, we're doing a pancake breakfast and a blood drive after mass on Sunday. Can you help us? 
And I'm thinking to myself, well, that'd be pretty crummy if I showed up to mass and told him I didn't have time to do it. So yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And I walked into that environment and I found an entirely different group of knights doing that. Wow. Right? Some of them were closer to my age and I can relate to them. Right? And then I started paying attention to the publications I would get from the Knights of Columbus. Right? Um, I would start looking at what the Knights of Columbus were doing worldwide, statewide, and locally. And I started engaging in that level. Right? I was too busy to do anything else, but every once in a while, I could put a little bit of time in and go do something. If we were collecting turkeys for the turkey drive and handing that, literally one year, we handed out over a thousand baskets wow. right, to people that needed it. Right, So these were little ways that I was engaging in the Knights of Columbus, and I was practicing my faith. Right, We have degrees. The principle of one of our degrees is charity. What do we give of ourselves? And I think as Catholics, a lot of us want to be able to do that, but we don't know how to. Right. We don't know when we don't know where. And the Knights allowed me to do that at my level. I wasn't going to the meetings at the time. I will later on in life. Right. But the other thing that it did is it. This was the transition point in my faith life where I engaged in my faith more where we started saying prayer in our home, mm. where we were inviting the priest to our house to have that dinner with us. If it wasn't for the Knights of Columbus, I would have never engaged in that level. Mm. And I think that as young Catholics today, because I know the, the environment of people that we're probably addressing through this, is we are hungry. We are hungry. Now I'm 47 years old. I, I'd like to say I'm still young, at least to my eyes. I'm you young, look it. I'm going to live to 120. <laughs> so I'm not even halfway there yet, right? Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, we're hungry for that. And we need places to engage that allows us to do that. And the Knights of Columbus is not the old fart sitting in the basement with oxygen on that we're all familiar with. It is us. It is John. It is Nick. It is us, and it is a way to engage yeah. and grow our faith. Yeah, so I mean, to that effect, David is young adjacent. John and I are young, and we're <laughs> young adjacent. <laughs> and this is, this is you know, this could be you. Chicken. Yeah. Um, no, I think that that's really important. And I, I remember when I got uh, involved with the Knights, so I'm a third-degree Knight. Mm -hmm. um, when I got involved with the Knights, I... I there the the council that I joined like it was a real span of of age demographics there were some older guys there were a ton of younger guys there were yes. some guys in the middle and it really was amazing to me to see these men who would otherwise never be just hanging out mm. hanging out yeah. And and serving the Lord together in a, a, an authentic fraternal expression, right? Like they were authentically growing in brotherhood, mm -hmm. and it is never healthy to like live life in a vacuum, um, or or even uh, to live life like clinging to only people who are like you, right? So whether that's people that see the world the way that you do, or people that like are this into the same things as you, or, or or the same age range as you, because what you lose is perspective, and what you lose is wisdom that is outside of the bounds of your own experiences. And so, like, um, there are things, David, because you're young adjacent, that I I could learn from being in a in a relationship with you, a brotherly relationship with you, that I I would never be able to learn just hanging out with John, right? And then vice versa, because John and I have had totally different life experiences. Like, I could learn things from John, and and then I'd be able to, you know, you you'd be able to learn things from me, like. Not probably not much, but but the point is that like the relationships that I saw in this council when I was when I joined as a first degree, um, it was like really 
it, it stood out to me because there you it was just so clear like these guys this is an authentic group of brothers they are not like each other but they they love each other and it isn't just like a nice idea they aren't just like kicking it and having beer like they're really serving the lord and and doing things to serve their community um and they have each other's backs and we are in such an isolating time right now whether it's because we're so politically um divided and and extremified um and uh you know spiritually even we have like spiritual camps whether you know you're a conservative catholic or like a charismatic catholic or what like why, why can't we just be catholic right like mm. um we're, we're in all of these different camps that segregate us and isolate us and then we also just are are with the digital world like we don't live in community as much anymore in person and like pursuing as a man like gosh you, you can't do manhood by yourself no. you just mm -hmm. can't i mean nobody should do humanhood on their own right. but like as a man like to be a strong man for your, for your spouse a strong man for your children uh, a, a strong man for your community a strong man for your workplace for your friends like you can't do that by yourself and having a group of brothers that you all have the same goal which is heaven and which is supporting the community which is supporting each other like there really isn't a better option that I know of. <laughs> yeah. No, and you know, I, I will dovetail into the story that I told you about uh, mass in another country. Oh, sure. All right. The Knights of Columbus is the largest Catholic fraternal organization in the world. Um, you know, I, I, I keep going back to talking about Colorado Springs as well. You know, that was a military town, and a, and and several a lot of the population in those councilors were soldiers. Right. And and um, uh, Mount St. Francis, uh, the Grand Knight, after a degree, would always tell the story on when he became a Knight of Columbus, he pulled orders to do a short deployment to the Philippines. Well, a short deployment, he couldn't take his family. Right. So he's going to be separated from his family for that amount of time. And he gets to the Philippines and he goes to mass. You know, first thing we're going to gravitate to anywhere in life is we go someplace we don't know. We want to try to find the familiar. Mm. Right. And so he goes to mass and he sees that there's a Knights of Columbus council. Right. And there's a meeting time and he goes to the meeting. He's in the Philippines. He goes to the meeting. He walks in the door. He shows his membership card. And he said they treated him like they knew him his whole life. Wow. There was no difference between going to the United to the council meeting at Colorado Springs or wherever he was stationed at the time and the Philippines. That's amazing. And what he realized on that was. What an amazing, not only is our faith so amazing that I can go anywhere in the world and have the same mass, but the Knights of Columbus, I can go anywhere where the Knights of Columbus is present in the world and create the same relationship, right? And what do we do in our lives when we're alone? We try to gravitate to what we know. And the Knights of Columbus gives us that. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. That's awesome. I like that. John, as as a, a, a explicitly young person, um what what is <laughs> your Jason. Yeah. <laughs> what has your experience been? Yeah. Yeah. No. So you you described earlier like you, you were exposed to a group of young knights when you went on the March yeah. for Life. Yeah. Um and that that was impactful because you really hadn't been exposed to that before that point. So you ended up joining. What has it been like? Yeah. To, yeah, and what you were saying because the answer to this really relates is Father McGivney didn't do something new. Like when it comes to a, a parish group, the Knights were another 
church basement, you know, origin, right? It, it literally started in a church basement, just like any altar and rosary society or holy name or whatever it might be, right? Didn't reinvent the wheel. Now, how it scaled from that point on is, you know, bringing in other brothers, uh, mm-hmm. recruitment aspect is really where uh, that that relates. But my experience of it has been, I, I think what you were saying about having that personal invitation and then seeing in other men something that you wish you had. Okay. Meaning not material things, but yeah, right. talking virtue, right? Like they're doing things that I wish I could do as gracefully as they do, mm. right? Like they're not, you know, pulling their hair out to go to, you know, they don't want to go to mass on Sunday. They're, you know, kicking and screaming, right? Um, I think that's what I saw in in the youth uh, of the nights through my, my college council. But what the underlying foundation though is, is it's any Catholic man over the age of 18, literally 18 till mortality, right? Having that one thing in common though, that you are both men and you are Catholic, the age part really doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know what I could learn from someone who's recently married or someone who's recently married and had a child or someone who's got a bunch of kids or someone who's retired or whatever I can learn, I can learn things, you know, from them. And I guess in that sense, you know, it, it, it kind of moves the chains for all of us in our, either our spiritual formation or our, you know, intellectual formation or wherever we might be on that journey to be put into that community where, like you said, we're not, we're not isolated. We're not on our own. We're not in this by ourselves. Yeah. And, and some people go into that, like with varying degrees of isolation. So like you might already organically be a part of like a, a Bible study or right. a faith sharing group or something where you yeah. have some of those relationships cultivated. Um, you might like I, I very weirdly like awakened Catholic is comprised of by and large a, a ton of people who grew together, journeyed together in college at the Newman Center at Bowling Green State University. Uh, and we had all moved away, started families, and then God brought us all back to the geographic area. And yeah. we started Awaken, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so we kind of have a super unique thing where we have a lot of fraternity, a lot of community within that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's just kind of to illustrate, like, there's a whole gamut, a whole spectrum of, of different ways in which, you know, your your idea of community can, can manifest. But but a lot of people just don't have that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just learned of a, a doctor that moved into Bowling Green who's Catholic, literally knows nobody. And gosh, like what a great way to plug into community and brotherhood and fellowship if um, if he were to join the Knights, for example, right? Or yeah. So, yeah, and then there are also groups, communities for, for women. Uh, in fact, the Knights has something for the wives. Uh, can you address that? That's, uh, that's actually organized on a council level. There's nothing okay. actually sec- sanctioned, um, from the corporate level for that. Um, you know, I know that some did like a ladies auxiliary, um, but that was something that the women did together. Okay. Um, so the wives created a community, but when we go out and we do whatever events, whatever things that are going on, you got to understand that we are actually more driven by our wives in this than anybody else. Yeah. You know, it was my wife that said, shut up and go do it. Right. You know, yeah. When the was, wives start to see that the husbands start to suck a little bit less, mm. it's like, oh, maybe you should keep doing this thing that makes you a better person. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so the engagement of wives, you know, just to not make it sound like it's exclusively men. And I'm going to go to that real quick for a second. Sure. You know, the Knights of Columbus is a male Catholic fraternal organization. There's a reason for that. The 
reason for that was back in 1882, that's the way we were originally chartered and founded. Okay. So those are in the bylaws. Those are in the original founding of the Knights of Columbus. Okay. Does not mean that it's not inclusive for our families. As a matter of fact, we've changed our degree ceremonies now that our wives are invited to observe the degree ceremony. That's very new. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is very new. It's been over the past year, year and a half that that occurred. Okay. Interesting. So it's not an exclusivity to just men in that sense, because like I said, we were founded for who? For the families. For widows and orphans. Yeah. Right? We were founded. And let's face it, if we are not a team in the household, right, then nothing goes, mm. right? That that has to exist, right? And so, you know, with my wife and I, we've had several conversations about like, oh, well, who do you consider as head of the household? <laughs> You're the guy and I'm the girl. You know, it's not that. It's, you know, who helps us guide to our faith decisions yeah. in our life. And and we, we create that hierarchy. Hierarchy? Hierarchy. Hierarchy. Thank you. <laughs> it's a weird word. Within yeah. our own environment, right? Yeah. So, um, so, yes, to become a member of the Knights of Columbus, it is for Catholic men. Right. But that's what draws our whole families into it. Right. And that's who we are of service to. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So so getting involved with the Knights can take a couple of forms. Uh, one of them is you can become a Knight um, by going through uh, the different degrees. Uh, so I've gone through three of the four. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, by becoming a knight, by going through the degrees, even just the first degree, um, you can participate in, you know, obviously the, the gatherings, you participate in the activities um, that the, the knight's council might do for the community. Uh, you start to develop those relationships. Uh, but you also get access to um, the, uh, the benefits for supporting your your wife or your children or both uh if something were to happen to you um and then vice versa your whole family really starts to get uh those types of benefits that can benefit the whole family um and you know so whether that's the life insurance or disability or all the different things that you Mm -hmm. listed Mm -hmm. earlier um so that that's really powerful and and the plans that are offered uh the benefits that are offered early on when my wife and I were were first looking at that cuz we had never considered life insurance before we were young and we were never going to die um and so we have a big s on our chest when we're young but yeah. that, as we get older that yes s turns to a u Right. It just starts sagging. Oh, gosh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not as invincible and our armor starts yeah. to fail. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. It's, it's the idea. Of um, so but anyways, when we were looking at the plans, like it, it really you, the Knights offer benefit packages that really are just worlds apart from what is offered in the market otherwise. Do you so, want to address that for well, a moment? Well, yeah. So, um, you know, go backwards a little bit. Uh, membership in the Knights of Columbus. It's actually probably the easiest way you can ever do it. Um, now you can become what's called an e-member. You can go to kfc.org, not Kentucky Fried Chicken, kofc.org <laughs> backslash join us. And if you go in there, you can actually become a member of the Knights of Columbus digitally. Okay? So we'll, we'll include that member. link in the show yes. notes. Ethan, make a note of that. Awesome. Awesome. And... Um, once you do that, you're now uh, an online member, okay? Uh, an e-member is what we call that. The nice thing is up to the end of the year, we're waiving the dues. 
right? Oh, cool. Yeah, most councils will charge you 30, 40 bucks a year for dues. It helps the councils. But if you want to become an e-member till the end of this year, it's it you can do it without paying anything, right? Now, what you get from that is you get access to uh, our magazine that comes out once a month. You get access to the materials that we provide online. Um, you can start learning to live your faith. Sometimes you just want to be a voice. Sometimes you just want to stand from a distance and listen, observe. Sometimes you want to actively participate. So if you want to actively participate, anytime you join online, you're always going to be invited to join a local council. And that's where you go through the degree ceremonies. Okay. And there's four degrees in our order. Okay. Now you also are privy to the benefits that we offer. Okay. We offer Catholic benefits. All right. We offer, we are the highest rated, uh, um, insurance organ, Catholic insurance organization in North America. Okay. We have been recognized as one of the most ethical companies in the world. Okay. Multiple times. We, we provide a benefit that none of the money that is put into any of these benefits will go against our faith. We only invest through what is approved through the Council of Bishops. That's awesome. That's okay. really powerful. So we know that we're not directly or indirectly supporting things like fetal stem cell research, abortion, pornography, Planned Parenthood. We're not supporting any of that that goes against our faith. Okay. The other thing that we're afforded is, and, and what we do as agents. So I'm a general agent. John is a field agent. Okay. I've been a field agent for years prior to becoming a general agent. What we do is we carry the responsibility that Father McGivney did. So Father McGivney founded the Knights of Columbus. He left the running of the order to the council members. He went out and he reached out to other Catholic men to encourage them to become knights. And then he provided the benefits to their families during their greatest time of needs. And those greatest time of needs could be at death, it could be at retirement. It could be at disability. It could be at a point in your life where you're not able to care for yourself anymore and you need the assistance of others, mm. right? That's what we provide for our families. We provide the heart and the light in areas that aren't always as bright as they can be, mm. okay? We are there. We have a calling to be there for the widows. And every time we go into a household, all of us say a prayer, let us put the needs of our family before that of our own. And God, we trust that you will take care of us if we keep that in our heart. Yeah, right? that's beautiful. So you're going to get a relationship with an organization that is going to have your needs at heart. And we're going to be here to answer the call, whether that's just to be support for you at a time of need, or that's something that we're giving back to you through a benefit. Wow. Man, that's that's really beautiful. And, and I can attest uh, being, you know, that, that you, uh, David, you and, and uh, Eric Lopright, did I pronounce his Lepreet. name? Lepreet. Dang it. Um, it's those French names. It, it really is. I'm Cuban, <laughs> so they're just completely incompatible. Uh, no, but, uh, you know, David, uh, you, you, David, and Eric, when you guys came to my house a year and a half ago um, to kind of review what our current benefit packages were and, and kind of update things, uh, you guys were just fantastic. Um, and every encounter I've had with any Knights agents uh, throughout the, the, the years that my wife and I have uh, been with the Knights. Like, it's all just been so loving and, and real. Um, and especially, you know, my wife and I, we're musicians and we love Jesus. We love talking to people about Jesus and singing about him. And yes. when it comes to paperwork and jargon, like, 
we are just like so out of our element and any any night that we've ever encountered has just been so helpful in breaking things down and understanding things so like yeah i can't recommend enough as a consumer but I also as a member like the, how how valuable that has been in contrast to any other encounter i've had with any other life insurance you know perspective circumstances whatever uh and so um thank you for the work that that you guys do truly um and so along the lines of what we were just talking about another way to uh engage with the knights to to participate in that mm-hmm. it's kind of you know john what you're doing now yeah uh, and that's to become an agent yeah so talk to us a little bit about that what's your experience been like as an agent john i love this question because here i was as i said earlier in my story um recent college graduate, okay? I had a background in finance and theology and philosophy. So I said, all right, I know my primary call is holiness. This is my second vehicle being my vocation, right? Married life. But that tertiary vocation, meaning what, what's my job? What's my career? How am I going to make money? That was still up in the air, mm. right? Uh, and I'm like, you're awful funny, God, because I'm, <laughs> I was going to have a degree in finance right? coming into the workplace, right? And here I am with a background in both finance and philosophy. What am I supposed to do? So I, I had interviewed for a full-time ministry, DRE, like director of religious ed, um, catechist, youth minister, and so forth. And I interviewed for full-time finance positions and I was sitting in the interview across from the guy in the bank. We had our ties on and he's like, John, why do you want to do job X? And in my head, I'm just like, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I actually I actually hate the idea of this. And then what I actually said was like vomiting out like LinkedIn lingo where it's like, yeah, this is just such a great opportunity for growth and, uh, you know, springboard my career and like you know, uh, the gross. professional jargon. Where it's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so fake. Um, and then I had got this job listing on LinkedIn for a field agent with the Knights of Columbus. And I said, what the heck? Like, I'm a part of that group already, that Catholic frat I joined in college. Right. That group of men that have done so much for me already. What is this? Hmm. What is this? No one had ever told me, you know, in that first essentially four years of membership, why the Knights were founded. Right. I mean, if, if, if the Knights had gotten to where we are today by selling pancakes, that would take a lot of pancakes. And they, they would have to be damn good. A lot of pancakes. Right. Right. And like <laughs> special syrup recipe or something. Right. Like, yeah. That would be a lot of pancakes. Well, I found in this career a way of tying my two passions, finance and ministry together, a financial ministry. And I found it absurd that there could be a company that is big time financial, authentically Catholic together. Either I'm going to be Catholic or I'm going to be good with my money. Usually it's like one or the other, right? Mm. Um, To learn that there's this company that has their money invested in ways that are in accord with our values, to have a moral theologian on an asset advisory team, like, I don't know if any other company does that. And if so, I mean, that would be beautiful, but it gave that peace of mind. So knowing that, all right, I'm not a priest. So that's the supernatural order, meaning, you know, hearing confessions, celebrating mass. I'm not doing that. In the natural order, though, what I do as a field agent is what I I really think is, is the most that I could do in my current state of life, meaning what what are the problems that could be solved? What are the meaning if if someone were to pass away? You know, how can we guarantee that that widow is taken care of, hmm. right? If, if a guy gets disabled and can't go to work, how how is bread going to be put on the table, right? Those are big problems. And if no one else has any other way to do that, if that risk 
is is so overburdening for a family that it would leave them financially destitute. The Knights won't be destitute if, if that happens to you. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so making sure that everyone has those plans in place, really giving someone the peace of mind, knowing I lay my head on the pillow, can pray before bed, you know, if you give me another day, Lord, thank you, right? But even if we, we don't wake up the next morning, my family will be okay, right? Yeah, right. Um, so that's what my experience has been as an agent, meeting with, like we said, any Catholic man over the age of 18, their wife and their kids, our benefits have to do with that C, Catholic. Mm. Catholic, it's it's not, all right, super wealthy people, right? Or, or those who are lower class or middle class. I've been in, you know... I would say all across the spectrum of a million dollar mansion and in a trailer park mm-hmm. serving our brothers because of that C word Catholic. That's the one unique thing that we share in common. And the, the reason why I was attracted to the Knights was to have that foundation in common of our faith mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe in looking at other groups or whatever, you might see that, all right, we have Greek letters on our shirt that we agree with or whatever it might be to have something foundational as faith. And if someone likes a different type of music or has different hobbies, that stuff doesn't really matter, right? You like your things, you like their things, but at least in that, uh, we yeah. foundationally. So it's it's really that relationship base. It's not here's dollars and cents, yeah. you know. Um, it's it's really educating people on the things that really do matter. I get it. It's not the most fun things to talk right. about. Again, I talk about death taxes and insurance. So I mean, I understand that, but in order to talk about that once a year yeah. or every two years. To give you peace of mind the rest of those days, uh, it's a it's a beautiful gift. And how long have you been in it now? Yeah, I've been in it for just over a year. Yeah, just October over a one. year, and you still talk about it like you're in the honeymoon phase. Yeah, it's beautiful. yeah, yeah. Well, and I highlight that because that's not really the case for a lot of jobs, even a lot of ministry jobs, uh, because ministry a lot of times can really like be a vacuum to your soul burnout um yeah and and i just see a passion for what you're doing in in you and uh so you know if you're watching or listening and you're thinking gosh field agent for the knights of columbus i'm not a knight yet but that i mean i am a knight but if you're you and you're not a knight yet like this is something you should look into potentially because um whether it's because you aren't sure what you're meant to do with your life or because you are passionate about details and money and you want to serve the lord with it um there could be any number of reasons but man what an interesting prospect that you could serve the the lord serve the church uh in this capacity as a field agent david david do you want to add anything to that yeah so um i'm the general agent so i'm i'm growing our team out here we actually are uh growing our team through all of ohio so my territory uh, is about eighteen thousand members uh, in northern Ohio and parts of Pennsylvania. We have another general agent, uh, Jason Stoss, that's down in Dayton, Cincinnati area. We have another general agent, uh, John Spencer, that is in um, the Columbus uh, area as well, uh, Steubenville. And then we also have another general agent that comes in uh, out of Pennsylvania and has a couple towns in Ohio. Uh, his name is Ross. Um, but, you know, I started my career as a field agent. My father-in-law was a field agent for the Knights of Columbus for 25 years. Wow. Okay. And, you know, I want to kind of go to John's point a little bit. We come from every aspects of life. You know, John came out of college into this career. I didn't start this career until I was in my 30s. Um, You know, I had military experience. I went into sales after that. Uh, Then I ran a service department for a fireplace company for almost 11 years. Um, I ran their customer service division. I ran their tech division. I trained, I hired, I did all that. Um, I came to a point in my life in that, and that was a beautiful company to work for. It was a family company. I knew them. It was great. I wasn't going anywhere else. 
And I was starting to miss something in my life. I was thinking to myself, I want something that I have some type of impact on other Mm. than fixing somebody's fireplace or lighting a pilot light, you know, that's cool in the winter. (laughs) But, and and, and one of the things I really liked about that was my engagement with people, right? Because I got to go in the homes, I got to know them a little bit better. Boy, I really liked doing that, Mm. right? And so, um, you know, I've told you kicking and screaming and everything in my life and my wife being the one with the boot pushing me out the door, she was the one that said to me, you need to do this career because you're missing something in your life. You want to have an impact and you can connect with people. And I looked at my wife and I said, I don't want to sell insurance. Who wants to sell insurance? Come on, really? And she said, it's not about that. Just go do it. Mm-hmm. And and I went out and I did it. And, and what I found was that this was something that I have an impact on. Mm-hmm. I don't have to hang my Catholic jacket upside the door before I walk into the workspace. Hmm. I can live my faith in what I do, right? I can have a conversation with you and your wife and talk about church and we can start our meeting in prayer and we can end our meeting in prayer. We can do all those things and we don't have to check that at the door, right? right? I know that what I am doing has a true impact on life, right? And you know, if we want to talk about impact, and I'm going to give you a little bit of story on this. Um, uh, my When I first got out here, right, I had been a field agent for 10 years. Uh, and then I took on the responsibility because I thought, you know what, the God, is ble- God has blessed me to be successful and make an impact on people's lives. I want to be able to help people have that same career. Mm. So what's the next step in what I do? I'm going to become a general agent and I'm going to find the men that can come into this and experience in that passion in the work and life that I'm getting. I want that. That's truly the way to spread. That's beautiful. Right? And so um, I got out here and, and my wife got a call. She runs my office and she gets a call from a widow and the young lady's in her thirties and her husband has just died. And my wife says, you know, listen, we can send the paperwork out, but um, I think we need to talk to him. And I said, you're absolutely right. So I took a trip you know, about an hour down the road, went out to the house. I knocked on the door and I remember opening the door or her opening the door. And my first image when I walked into that house was her and three kids in diapers. Mm. Now I'm a father, right? And my heart just, just swelled with sorrow on that one. Like, oh my gosh, I've got babies in the house, right? Now I told you guys, I told you earlier that, you know, I I always go in, I stop before I go in the house and I say a prayer. Let me put the needs of the family before that on my own. I also want to imagine that Father McGivney is walking in that house with me. And what did Father McGivney want us to do? Take care of families. Mm. So there's certain points in meetings and where you feel certain presence. And so we walk into the house, we go in the kitchen. She had a very great, she maintained a very, calm, relaxed demeanor, um, very composed. And her, her father-in-law was there. And so the three of us are just sitting at the table and she turns around some paperwork and she goes, listen, my husband had about a hundred thousand dollars of coverage. And I don't know how far that's going to go, but thankfully he had that. And I said, um, no, he had $600,000 of coverage. And she said, no, you're wrong. He had $100,000 of coverage. I said, no. And I opened up the computer. He had 600000 See, they had met with an agent continuously and done updates. And she was usually removed from the conversation. She trusted her husband to right. do everything. And she just stopped and she said, excuse me. And she got up and she walked out. Okay. And I'm sitting there and I'm with her father-in-law and, and we're talking. And she comes back in. 
And obviously she was crying and she sits down and she says, he kept telling me it would be okay. He kept telling me it would be okay. And until you walked in Mm -hmm. and, and said this to me, I didn't know how it was. My kids don't have a father anymore that's with them physically, but he's with them in spirit. And you have been able to fill us with some level of security that we didn't know we had. Yeah. You know, now you want to talk about a presence. Mm-hmm. Father McGivney was with me. Her husband was with us. And Christ was with us in that moment. I'm telling this story. I'm getting chills right now. I'm driving home and I'm on the phone with my wife and I'm not a very emotional guy, but I'm driving home and I'm saying to myself, Oh my God, I'm in the right place. Yeah. I'm in the right place. We have fulfilled the commitment that we gave. And and I still know this client. See, it doesn't end with just us walking in a house. And here, here's the reality, folks. Most of us go out in our lives and we go to the grocery store and we pick it off the shelf and we put it somewhere and we take it home and we put it away and it's put away and it's good. And we don't think about it, right? Unless we're going to pull it out and make SpaghettiOs that night, right? We, we buy what we need to buy. We put it away and we don't think about it anymore. And a lot of us approach our planning this way, right? We don't think about it anymore, right? It's put away. We feel secure. We don't really know, Right. Well, us as agents, our responsibility is not to just give you something to pick off a shelf and say, here you go. Our responsibility is to build that relationship with you, to keep visiting with you over and over and over and make sure that your family is still secure and make sure that we're facilitating any changes that need to be. Now, this brother Knight met with the agent who gave him that commitment to do that, right? So how many of you have ever driven away filled with that sense of spirit Christ and purpose in your life. And if you're looking for a career that can give you that, and if you're the right person, listen, I didn't come from a financial background. I wasn't this young man over here coming out of John Carroll University with a theology degree and a finance degree, right? I went to DeVry University, you know, later on in life and I got my small business entrepreneurship degree, but my background was just customer service, right? So we, we come from everywhere, right? And the similarity to us those of us who, who really come into this and engage this as a passion, the similarity is, is we have the needs of our family. And listen, God will take care of the rest. If you're a hard worker, God will take care of the rest. I got tired of working 60, 70 hours a week for somebody else who dictated my schedule. Mm-hmm. I can come in and say, listen, if I want to put that much time in, that means I'm making that much of an impact on more families. Mm-hmm. If I'm now at a point in my career where I want to put a little bit less in, then I'm going to put a little bit less in, right? Yeah. That's the beauty of what this career offers. That's awesome. So are you the right man for this career? And if you are, man, reach out, reach out. And I know Nick's going to help me out with something else toward the end of this. So I'm going to stop talking for a minute because you're, no, you're the that's That's beautiful. And, and I just love the passion that both of you exude for your careers here. Um, so that's that's amazing. And and I think that it, it's so rare. Like we're, we're in this society where, where people live for the weekend, like they get through their week big you know uh tooth and nail and and just struggling because they're excited for friday evening to begin and and then they dread monday morning they got a case of the mondays you know um and and i just think gosh what a tragedy to like live most of your life five sevenths of your life for two sevenths of your life Mm -hmm. 
And it's just, it's so tragic. Like that's, uh, our lives are meant to be full of joy and love and peace and purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, if this, if this resonates with you at all, uh, from a career standpoint, like they got, they got openings, they're taking applications, right? Um, uh, always, I'm always visiting and talking to people. And here's the deal, you know, listen, it's not for everybody. I talk to people as often as I can. Listen, if you just get out of it, becoming a knight, oh my gosh, we've done such a miracle for you, yeah. right? And, um, you know, if if you talk with me or you're in one of those other areas and you talk with one of the general agents and you conclude that, listen, this isn't my cup of tea, but you know what? My buddy, Bob, man, he would love this. Yeah, I yeah. got to get this over to Bob. You know, I got to talk to Bob. So spreading the word, networking, letting more people know that it's there. Nobody knows it's there. Yeah. Nobody knows that there is a career like this available for them that encompasses everything. That's awesome. Right? I live my life of faith. I have a purpose in people's lives, and I have the opportunity to make an income for my family that allows me to provide for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. substantially or non-substantially, I have that opportunity to do that. I can make an incredible living. And by the way, the amount of living that you make from doing this is actually directly reflective of the amount of people you actually cared for in the first place. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Right. That's profound. That's a way to live. That's beautiful. Speaking of careers with the Knights of Columbus, uh, Jason, what's Jason's last name? Jason Stoss. He's Jason another general Stoss, agent. Here, yes. Another general agent. He's uh, actually sent us a little video uh, where he's going to share with you about an upcoming uh, virtual career fair, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Yes, uh, and so we're also going to include links to that in the show description. But here is Jason. Hey, my name is Jason Stoss. I'm a general agent for the Knights of Columbus based right here in the great state of Ohio. And there are several unique things we are seeing right now among Catholics in the post-pandemic workplace. We see that Catholics have questions about how to find ways to live out their faith through their career so that they can really make a difference in this life. Catholics are searching for a place where they can make an impact and a great living for their family, all while becoming holier in the process. They want to live this out within organizations that are stable, respectable, and most importantly, aligned with their values. It may sound like an impossible dream, but many are realizing through a process of prayerful discernment that these opportunities do exist. And they exist at an organization perhaps many didn't even know was hiring for positions right here in the state of Ohio. What's that organization's name? I'm talking about the Knights of Columbus. And as we build elite teams here in Ohio, we know not everyone has what it takes. The question is, do you know a Catholic gentleman who wants to live out their faith through their career and really make an impact? If so, I have included a link below to a virtual career discernment fair hosted by the Knights on December 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern. That's where people will discover what it takes to represent one of the most storied Catholic organizations in history. We can't wait to see you at the fair. Be sure to get registered below and please pass along the link to someone you think may benefit from it. God bless and vivat Jesus. Once again, we're going to include a link to that uh, virtual career fair in the show description of today's episode. Um, David and John, this has been a joy. This has been... A real 
real uh, blessing and, and grace for me to have you guys here and talk Thank through you. this stuff. Um, and I just I hope that our viewers and listeners got a lot out of this. I think that the the priority that we should put on building community and pursuing uh, fraternity, for pursuing brotherhood and mission uh, and, and purpose in that, um, it just it needs to become a priority. We're going to be better men for it, better workers, better uh, husbands, fathers, uh, friends to our, our friends. Um, I mean, there's really, it's, it's, a, it's an, a zero, uh, how, how would you say that? It, it's a win-win. Yeah. Like you just, it, you, you can't go wrong. Right. Um, and I've had nothing but positive experiences so far. Um, any any last uh, thoughts you want to share? Well, I mean, uh, like you said, you know, since when are you going to lose out on a method of engaging your faith? Yeah. Um, and, and having an opportunity to meet with like-minded people as yourself. Uh, and like-minded being that we share the same passion, the same faith. And, uh, you know, as, as I've actually said to you a couple times, listen, there's so many different organizations out there. Mm-hmm. And, and the one similarity with regards to our faith, and I'm meaning Catholic organizations, is we're all hungry for something. Yeah. Why aren't we working together on that? Amen. Right? So, um, so, and, and, and you thanked us, gosh, you know, we've got to thank you. I mean, giving us the opportunity to be able to sit in your studio and, and present the word of, of God and talk about our lives and our stories, and then also give other people the opportunity to engage in their faith life through the Knights of Columbus as well. And heck, maybe somebody will find a career out of this, which is just amazing. Yeah. But the fact that you've been so gracious and, and accommodating to us is just absolutely amazing. It's truly my pleasure uh, to support an organization that I really believe in. So, uh, and I'm a part of, yes. so, <laughs> yes. all right. Uh, thank you again, David and John for being here today. Uh, and if, uh, you know, you're at the end of this episode and you're wondering to yourself, what was John's last name again? And how do you spell it? It was, uh, Dumbardo and, uh, you, you can see how that's spelled, which is, uh, truly insane to me. Uh, but also just French. Um, in the in the show notes, uh, David Carey, John Dombardo, thank you for being here today. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to, if you enjoyed this show and you want to support uh, the making of this show, and also get access to exclusive benefits, including a daily scripture reflection by yours truly, then make sure to visit theawakencatholicshow.com and join the community of saints with a lowercase s because we're still working on it. And then finally, make sure to download uh, the Awaken app by visiting theawakenapp.io or just you know looking up uh, Awaken Catholic on your Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Uh, I have been Nick Delatore. This has been the Awaken Catholic Show. And before you go, I just need you to know that Jesus loves you. <laughs>